Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show. This week we are doing the 2021 year in review. This has been an insane year in terms of the headlines and news stories, and we're going to try and make sense of some of those and help lay up for what we need to be doing for the year ahead. Hope you enjoy the show. See you in a moment. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurentiel. Pleasure to be here, Mr. Baxter, and we've got an awfully lighthearted episode installed today. Probably our favorite episode, realistically, that we record each and every year. That's the year in review. It certainly is. And man, there's been no shortage of material to run through. That's for sure. It's been a crazy year, one for the books. And I guess as we take a bit more of a lighthearted look back uh, in the rearview mirror at what's been, you're left scratching your head. How could that possibly have happened? Oh, totally. And it, it's funny when you look back and you know our creative team and ourselves sat down earlier this morning thinking about what are we actually going to talk about? And it was almost like the list went on and on and on. We're going to have to compress this. It should be a longer episode, but nonetheless, there's a lot to go through. We could do a real-time year in review. It's almost worthy of it. But anyway, yeah. Really? You're Absolutely. quite right. Let's, uh, let's pin it down. What are the big ones? Where do you want to start? Well, it's, it's up to you. I mean, we, we could talk about COVID. I think that's probably the obvious one because we all thought that was going away last year, but mm. subsequently really hasn't. That's right. I mean, it's uh, it's uh, the second year that we've had to deal with it, and it started off uh, with Delta and finished with Omicron. And it's really, really quite extraordinary that one thing can dominate global markets, the global headlines, and really still be having the effect that it is. I mean, just recently we saw a big spike in the US as Omicron emerged as the latest in the the strain that's there. Um, yeah, it's wreaked havoc with the economy. Uh, it's certainly wreaked havoc with trying to trade markets. Insofar as you know, there are sectors that. Uh, have been decimated, you know, the travel and transport industry being one, uh, and others that have done particularly well. It's created a lot of opportunities too. Yeah, online shopping has enjoyed, uh, once again, gone from strength to strength, whereas, um, you know, as I say, probably the travel industry particularly has been one that's just been on pause, really waiting for the nonsense to clear up. We're at a stage now, certainly here in Australia and also in the US and the UK, where you know, vaccination levels uh, are, are at points where you can effectively open your economy back up and get on with business. But of course, that then parlays into, um, let's call it the politicisation uh, of of COVID, uh, which is something we've seen rampantly amongst our various states and territories here in Australia. I can't say many people and i think there's research to back this up but anecdotally no one really knew who the premiers were of each state until COVID. now these guys are like celebrities these premiers of states shutting borders it's uh, it's almost become like COVID theater it, it has and yeah you're quite right there are people that have been almost no names in the on the world stage all of a sudden uh, have really basked in the glory of center stage and and you wonder how much policy uh, and guidance is about politics and, and probably the best example of that would be in Queensland uh, where we've seen you know you can go to the cricket um, that's okay but you can't do other things like go to weddings and and things like that so it's kind of a, a real sort of um, peculiar uh, set of measures you know state of origin we saw you know 30 40,000 people sitting in a stadium but you can't have you know 10 people together for a funeral it's extraordinary in uh, in the uh, way that it's been done but uh, you know, it's what it is. We've still got, as we speak, uh, one of our states closed off being Western Australia, Mark McGovern, who we discovered was the Premier of Western Australia, uh, running hot. We obviously had a change of Premier in New South Wales with uh, Gladys falling on a sword, not over uh, COVID, I might add, but ICAC, um, you know, the corruption allegations, uh, you know, which really, as a politician in today's world, seems to be the norm where there's going to be some very dirty laundry that comes out and, uh, uh, and, and you fall on your sword and off you go. So, yeah, it's certainly been a really interesting time 
time, but it continues to weigh very, very heavily on business, on stocks uh, and investment. You know, you take companies in the transport space, Virgin, Qantas, Flight Center would be three very good examples of that, where you've got companies that are trying to get their employees engaged and get the show back on the road uh, with what is a moving feast, uh, depending on what the policy of the day really is. It's been very, very difficult to uh, to get a, get your head around. I guess it's really been that thing that's affected markets every time, without a doubt. Every time there's a piece of news or a lockdown or a case, it's, it's affecting the stock market. Mar- markets dislike uncertainty. There's no question about that. Um, you know, and that's well known. I, I guess it's you know that that differential or, or distinction between federal and state, um, and the federal government have been shown not to really be in control or in charge of the economy or indeed the country held to ransom by various states and it's still happening now you know my father's arrived from the uk i live in new south wales he's been able to fly in 72 hours of isolation two COVID tests happy days off you go whereas if he'd flown into queensland uh, he'd be in he'd be in hotel quarantine for 14 days it's the same country it's the same virus we're talking about and, and the same potential passenger yet a very very different way of treating people so for businesses to try and successfully navigate that and and for individuals for that matter there'll be founders that can't have christmas because they're not able to get together so it certainly has been a a, a really dark pull uh, that i'm sure we'll look back in time and go gee we really made a pig's ear of that Totally. Uh, it's it's really been the, the talk of the year. Hmm. If we stick, though, AB, just pressing on, because we've got plenty to go through today, believe it or not, um, on the political landscape, and that is Mr. Joe Biden, or President Joe Biden, excuse me. Hmm. Is what he is, president? Does he remember being elected? I well, wonder. He does fall asleep, but good on him. I mean, he's mastered the uh, the art of falling asleep with your eyes open. It's yeah, perfect, he, right? He's mastered quite a few bodily functions. I understand there was, uh, he, had, uh, he had some flatulence as well, uh, whilst meeting uh, Prince Charles and, uh, and Camilla. Uh, so an interesting character, yeah. It's uh, it's again, it's something that in a time of massive uncertainty, strong political leadership globally has been required, and we've seen, yeah, you know, in 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 the Western world, some major shifts. Angela Merkel in Germany, who's been, you know, pretty much um, as head of state in Germany now. Uh, for as long as most people can probably remember, the Chancellor there uh, finally stepped down. Um, you know, Boris Johnson in the UK is holding on to office, you know, just. And, and, and again, you've got Joe Biden in in, uh, in the US. And, and all, all of this against a backdrop where I'm sure we'll talk to China in, in, a, in a few moments. But, you know, you've had a, a real absence of really strong, clear leadership and direction. And, you know, it's not been the ideal first year for President Biden and his administration. You know, the economy is not in the best of shape. You've got rampant inflation, uh, the major issues of the southern border and illegal immigrants uh, is, is just gone crazy. You've got this caravan of people coming up from, from South and Latin America into the US unchecked effectively. Uh, you've had the, the, the withdrawal of troops from Afghanistan, which was an absolute debacle and really leaves a really poor taste, I think, in, in the mouths of any veteran or anyone that served their country to see you know, just how things were left behind uh, um, uh, and, the, and the legacy that's been left there. You know, it's a pretty poor show. Um, yeah, just strange policies. Uh, and, and then the standard excuse, oh, I don't recall um, being briefed on that, which is terrifying for someone that's the, you know, the head of state and a major, well, the world superpower. It's uh, it's certainly been an interesting couple of months to say the least. Mm. And more recently, we've seen the uh, the uprising of ex President Donald Trump on this very basis. Yeah. Ab, what are you, what are your thoughts moving forward? Look, the, the the issue facing the US is so philosophical, and unfortunately, it's probably something that you could talk to 
in many countries now, particularly here in Australia, um, you know, where there's such a division, there's no middle of the road, whether it be politics or or, or, or beliefs about vaccination versus non-vaccination, it's really diso- divisive uh, to, to a massive level. And, and, and Trump politics certainly were that way. Um, you know, there's talk that he may well be making a, a comeback and, and, and have another tilt of the presidency. I'm not so sure that's likely to happen. Um, but the recent poll that I looked at, more people would probably vote for former President Trump to be in office now than, than President Biden. And that happens. That's part of mid-cycle politics. He's a year into his presidency. He hasn't really accomplished much. There's you know the, the rebuild better uh, bill that's gone through, but that's a fraction of what it was originally going to be. You've got a spiral in debt. Um, you know, hyperinflation almost. Well, it's not hyperinflation, but it's certainly creeping up. And there are a lot of lot of lot of issues to really tackle, uh, both domestically and in terms of foreign policy. So certainly, it opens the door for someone on the other side of uh, politics there to to say, look, we could probably come in and do a better job. You've also got a very very old president, oldest sitting president, and uh, and from what's been portrayed in the media, an exceptionally ill-prepared um, and and lacking capability vice president to take over. It's scary when you think about it like that. But you you talk to inflation, AB, just Mm. swiftly moving on here. That really has dominated headlines throughout the year. Uh, We've seen bond yields react accordingly in stock markets as well. What, What are your thoughts, I guess, on the year that it's been in terms of inflation? With the level of interest rates that we've seen uh, in major markets at the historical low levels are effectively zero in the US, they're 0.1%, which is practically zero here too. Um, Money is effectively free to borrow and people will borrow and spend, whether that be in the property market, which obviously has had a a stellar run, or whether it's in other other places. Um, The the cost of capital is nothing, so it's good to borrow to expand. Um, There's been a strong property market in the US on the back of this, but when when you give people access to effectively free money, and and one of the statistics um, I heard the other day, I'm not sure if it's veracity, but 99% of the statistics are made up. Forty percent of the U.S. dollars in circulation have been printed in the last three years. Just that's to, crazy. Just to put that into context, and it, maybe even if that's that's not entirely accurate, it's going to be within Kiwi of being ballpark yeah, accurate. Smoke this fire, and, right? and it kind of shows yeah you know, the volume of money printing that's been going on. And the U.S. Federal Reserve are faced with a very difficult challenge, and it's not really a difficult challenge under normal circumstances with inflation you know, running you know, at 5 6% type levels. Um, you wouldn't think twice about raising interest rates, but given the fact that we're coming out of a pandemic uh, recession, there's still you know, millions of Americans not working that were employed pre-COVID. Yeah, a, a rise in interest rates would probably check economic recovery to an extent, and that's quite a bitter pill to swallow. Um, and we've spoken about stagflation and various things in that ilk uh, throughout the year. Nonetheless, you have to get inflation under control because getting it back under control requires a stronger and stronger application of, of policy measures if it gets out of control. And at 5 or 6%, you'd probably start to argue that it's getting out of control. Add to that $1.7 trillion uh, in federal spend to make America, uh, rebuild America even better and even greater, build back stronger, um, you know, is going to cause inflation as you start to see underlying commodities and building materials continue to push higher on the back of that. It's not much different here in Australia, albeit the number is a little lower, uh, but we're seeing our inflation start to get out of control too, leaving our reserve bank with a, with a rather challenging decision. Do they go back on their promise of not touching rates until 2024 or do they do what needs to be done? 
kettle's certainly getting pretty hot. It was only a few weeks back we saw um, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell come out and say, look, inflation's actually not transitory. We we mucked up. It is a serious issue. Um, mm. And that probably poses a conversation here for us more locally, AB, to dive deeper. Um, this year, we've seen Governor Phil Lowe of the RBA maintain his stance that it's 2024, but yep. then drop a few hints here and there that it might not. Mm. Um, what are your thoughts or rundown as such on this year? No, I've been pretty vocal on that uh, from the RBA's perspective, and I think it was absolutely negligent on their part, or in, certainly in terms of Dr. Lowe's uh, prediction that we won't be touching rates till 2024 for the simple reason that it's lured many, many people into an overvalued property market, feeling it's safe to borrow because rates won't be moving up. You can't make promises on economic policy based on dates. It has to be on data. And if inflation continues to surge and continue to push higher, you know, $2 a litre for your fuel, 6 bucks for a lamb cutlet, 8% on your private health care for the first six months of this year, your electricity bill's gone through the roof, your groceries are going up week in, week out. All of these things contribute towards that, um, I guess, denigration in people's quality of life because the cost of living is increasing and there's no wage growth to go with it. You might then say, well, let wages go up too. And all you're really doing then is adding further fuel uh, to that inflation fire. Um, and, and, you know, you're starting to see fixed rate mortgages, for example, that were, you know, beginning with a two, now beginning with a three, uh, as, as, as the banks are going, look, we're, we're putting rates up because we can see it's coming and we're passing that on now in advance. So I do think it's a little negligent on their part. And I, uh, if they happen to fall on their sword and raise rates before then, and I'd take any bet in any size that they'll have to do that, um, that, yeah, there will be a, a lot of people that have found themselves in deep financial discomfort because they trusted the word of the RBA governor on a promise he should never have made. And it's the property market that could suffer looking forward on that. But Very looking so. at this year, that it has been AB, we've seen the property market um, just run super, super hard. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got clients in this space who invest with us in the share market, but also do a lot in the property space and ridiculous returns that we've seen. It is. It's been Crackers. Um, there's the, the official term for it. Crackers. Um, yeah, and it's been unusual in that normally when you see a surge in properties, it's it's more localised. You know, look at Sydney, you typically expect to see being a major city, um, you know, post-Olympic boom uh, and GFC and then just prior to COVID. Uh, but this, this particular, or if you look in the mining space, you look at places like Gladstone, Mackay, Port Hedland that did exceptionally well during the mining boom. Uh, this time what we've seen is just an explosion in valuations north, south, Across east and west. Uh, there's been a huge migration, not of new people coming to Australia. Uh, and, you know, we can talk to economic migration and whether that's the answer. I don't think it is. You know, we've still got 750,000 people out of the workforce. Let's get them in working uh, before we, we we let new people in to, uh, to, to do that. It's just silly to pay your people not to work whilst you invite other people in to do so. It just makes no sense. But that's, that's uh, a conversation I suspect for another time. If we look at um, the migration factor, it's been that movement, which is largely driven, I think, by a pandemic and, and particularly um, the politics around the pandemic where, you know, there's a surge in people leaving Victoria. You can understand that with Dan Andrews and the way that, you know, Victoria has effectively been uh, marshaled through this uh, under martial law. It's had the longest lockdown uh, in the world, effectively. Um, you know, some of the um, COVID legislation that's brought in is it, it, you've just got to question what, why, how are you bringing this leg legislation in? And it's prompted a lot of people and a lot of businesses to want to relocate 
uh, away from uh, Victoria and Melbourne uh, to other places. And we've seen that surge in rural areas, regional areas, um, yeah, uh, uh, particularly, and that's pushed prices in, in those areas too. But basically anything outside of Melbourne and Victoria has done exceptionally well. It's been crazy, to say the least. Uh, and within there also, you've seen a, a sort of shift in the type of property that people want. You know, if you've been forced to work from home, that one bed in a city, um, pied-à-terre, doesn't really make sense when you're doing everything in one room. Uh, you know, the idea of having a house with a little bit more space in the yard is, is obviously also been a factor. So you've seen a, quite the distinction in price action uh, between um, you know, apartments and, 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 and single-dwelling type uh, houses. Speaking of price action, a little segue here, AB, uh, for a rundown that we've seen this year on China. Mm. Uh, we talk about iron ore prices specifically, mm. but also geopolitics. Where do you sit now uh, after the year that it has been with China in terms of our relationship? Well, it would be pretty pretty easy to argue that you know things have soured beyond uh, almost a fix uh, from from a trade relations perspective. You know, we've seen so many different commodities, you know, whether it's barley, timber, beef, wine, coal, iron, everything, everything we produce, is, basically. Yeah, basically, anything that comes out of here is is non, uh, non-gratis, non not wanted. <laughs> uh, and, and that sort of backfired a little bit during the winter when, you know, obviously the Chinese didn't have enough coal to produce electricity to keep their people warm. So there's a bit of a spike there back in coal prices, obviously good for our, our coal industry, albeit a dying industry, you know, with, with zero net zero being the pledge out there. Um, it, it's really hard to see the way back. Uh, and I think Australia's got to own a lot of the problem within there. Um, you know, China's policies and, and, and practices are what they are. Um, whether or not they comply with the environmental rules and legislation on carbon emission is one example of it. Human rights obviously goes without saying. But the notion of, you know, a united China, we've seen Hong Kong effectively fold back into China. You haven't heard anything about the protests, for example, in Hong Kong since COVID started. Um, you know, Taiwan, will that be the next one? And, you know, the West has really dug in. Uh, President Biden obviously said, don't be going after Taiwan. We will not let that happen, if he remembers that conversation. Um, and, um, and, and so that one's a little bit more of a thorny one but we haven't helped ourselves when we're we're sending a former prime minister uh malcolm turnbull or we'll go up to taiwan for a diplomatic visit and a bit of a chat about trade uh when all of this is going on so if you really want to antagonize someone that was your top trading partner and now isn't very happy with you that's the sort of stupid thing to do Um, and we've not been that smart uh, in, in that regard. And that's not to say you've got to placate and be the supplicant in the relationship, but at the same time, there's a lot to be said for not antagonizing uh, when you're trying to rebuild trade and diplomatic relations. So, you know, Taiwan's stance, and I think, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, China's stance toward China, uh, Taiwan and, 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 and the geopolitics, I think is probably one of the biggest risks for markets as we speak. Um, going forward into the new year, there's likely to be further global tension around that, military tension, the prospect of military conflict, I think that's unlikely. Let's hope not, because I mean, that's a that's a uh, that's a net zero for us. That's for sure. We're not going to last too long in that particular fight. But the um, the reality is, let's hope that we're able to build some bridges and, and, and things um, start to get back to where they were uh, in terms of our relationship there, because it is such a crucial one for for Australian businesses and our economy. And uh, it's one that needs to be there. I think China's probably one of the single biggest risks though going forward, because they're playing the long game. These aren't playing four year cycles like 
we do in the West on a political cycle, you know, there's a 20, 30, 40, 50 year view of what's going on there. And that's something that we're not really that well equipped uh, to deal with. So certainly one of the big risks on talking within China, of course, is the construction sector, Evergrande. Evergrande, uh, how can we forget Fantasia? You know, Fantasia and a few of the other developers, they're effectively defaulting on some of their bond debt. Um, you know, 2% of China's GDP in Evergrande alone, uh, which just gives you an indication as to the scale of the business. Not to mention it's demand for our iron to, to produce steel to, to build. So, you know, if we see a property implosion in China, and there's every chance we may see that, um, you know, China's gone through, you know, in two decades, two centuries of capitalization. So, you know, everything's been fast-tracked and that boom and bust cycle is probably going to be fast-tracked too. So, you know, 90 million empty apartments and properties, uh, people aren't moving around or getting sucked into them. You're probably going to see a fair decline in property values kills the wealth effect and, and, and will slow the economy down as a drag and that will affect everybody because it is a, it's such a major part of the global trade. Yeah, it was an interesting and then we saw iron ore prices obviously with that come up from 200 bucks a barrel now to thereabouts $90 US per barrel. Stocks, ton, per ton, ton yeah, excuse yeah. me, a barrel. Absolutely. Um, you know, that that's an extraordinary move and you know, and, and you think of the big people in our economy, you know, your Rio, BHP, Fortescue's have all come off heavily on the back of that, understandably, you know, if what you sell is worth, you know, about a third of what it was worth previously, well, there's 70% of your profit margin effect, or not even profit margin, but your gross revenue effectively taken out. Uh, and, and and so our miners certainly have suffered on the back of that. And many people out there say, well, just find, find new markets. But to find a market on the scale and size of China- Impossible, right? It's just not going to happen. Totally, totally. Yeah, maybe America will soak a bit of it up with their rebuild plan, but it's just not going to be of the same, same order. Couldn't agree more. And now getting into barrels, given that I made that error just before, Let's chat about the Suez Canal. We've seen the rise and fall of oil. I mean, October, we saw, you know, ridiculous levels. Mm. Uh, we saw really high price targets as well for the end of the year, but subsequently oil come back quite substantially. It's been an interesting one, hasn't it? Yeah, the the, 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 the whole story this year post-pandemic as, as the reopening play, as it's been called, has happened as supply chain issues. And probably who, who would have believed that, you know, the Suez Canal, which is effectively, you know, the lifeblood of global shipping, uh, was blocked. You know, somebody crazy, had an right? accident and effectively blocked it up. And it, it beggars belief that that can happen again in today's world with technology and the like. Nonetheless, it did compounding further uh, the problems that we've got. And that whole supply chain issue, a lot of people don't realise that, um, you know, it's not just about shipping something from A to B, but with things like COVID, ports have been closed. There are hundreds of ships waiting to be unloaded uh, and, and they're all in line. So everything is delayed. And, you know, that's wreaked havoc. You know, to get a new car in Australia, you could be looking at a one year wait list, for example. Uh, you look at um, some of the manufacturers around the world, they've got literally a million finished cars ready to hit the market, except for they're not finished. Uh, they're missing a couple of microchips, which are essential to running the car. So they're not a finished product. They just sat there waiting for these chips that are on ships that are in the water rather than at the docks, uh, waiting to be unloaded uh, and pushed through the system. So you know, I think next year you're going to see almost a glut of supply as things catch up and there's a bit of an overshoot there. But certainly the Suez Canal, I mean, you can't believe that's blocked. So, you know, moving into oil, yeah, we saw the surge, uh, you know, the world's worst fear. OPEC aren't increasing production. You're going into that winter season where, you know, heating oil, particularly in North America, is the 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 the, the um, 
the energy of choice for keeping your house warm. And uh, yeah, pretty scary for a while there and certainly contributed to inflation. Uh, we saw you know, petrol prices at the bars in Australia hit two bucks a barrel in, in Sydney, uh, which is, again, a major factor for people's financial health because it's a major component of their cost of living. You can't get around not filling your car up. Yeah, I suppose you could cycle, but not very easy to cycle four kids to school. Um, so, yeah, that was a big one. And then the U.S. tapped into their strategic reserve and, and, and the world's returned to order for the moment. And it's not just been oil either. I mean, we look at the Russians and the stance that they've had on natural gas. Uh, you know, Germany, you know, paying, I think, 300% more for its natural gas than it was earlier in the year, uh, which is, you know, a pretty healthy price rise and pretty healthy profiteering on the part of the, uh, the Russian companies. You can't blame shipping for that because it comes down a pipe totally and we stick on the topic of of profiteering just moving swiftly on here ab what about crown um <laughs> what a story that was i mean yeah. how, how how would you even describe it well, there have been probably a couple of real bad examples of corporate governance uh, and there'll be plenty more besides but crown is 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 probably one that really jumps off the page so crown casinos uh subject to uh, a com- uh, an investigation into its business practices i think it was justice finkelstein wasn't it that was uh, uh that was was looking at it and you know just wrong on every level you know they shortchanged the victorian government into in terms of the revenue that they should have been paying on which they chose not to uh admissions of effectively money laundering and turning a blind eye to various criminal activities just to keep the dough coming through the door um you know it's left james packer in a very difficult position he's under uh, an obligation now to uh, reduce his stake i think he's 37 percent or 35 percent stakeholder yeah, something in like that he's got to get that down to five percent um Within three years, BlackRock are circling with a bargain basement offer. There's no counter bid for it. So the jewel in the Packer investment portfolio is is under immense pressure. And, and, and you just wonder from a corporate governance perspective that, you know, by his own admission, you know, James Packer is the chairman of the board and hadn't attended a board meeting for almost three years, which is just negligent right almost I, I don't know how you get your head around that as a as a publicly listed company where your chairman is not at the board meeting um you know maybe he was stuck Direct in Cabo or maybe there was a mariah carey concert on or something who knows but uh yeah that that, that one is, is is really interesting and quite frankly they're very lucky to hold on to their license in victoria obviously they would decline their license in sydney which yeah was a major major shock in some circles probably not in others um but is it, it, probably the right call that you, the, you, there, there are rules and regulations in play to follow and it's not like you trot on the line you're just like the lines in the rear view mirror you know five kilometers behind where you are you're that far over it and uh, and it's paid the price for that and unfortunately so too of its investors you know on the same note and we've bashed them a few times this year amp equally from a corporate governance point of view i think they'd probably on, be on the dais as joint winners of the worst corporate governance in australia this year in terms of you know what they've been shown to do and the denigration of shareholder value as a consequence of it Totally. And if we uh, if we stick on that theme, maybe just to dive a little deeper in terms of, um, let's say, not playing by the rules effectively or making your own rules in this guy's instances, and that's Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. <laughs> Elon Musk posting on Twitter, hey, should I sell my Tesla stock, which is however many billions and getting a yes and therefore dumping uh, you know, a number of billions. It's quite peculiar. I don't think we've seen that other than this no. year. Look, uh, the rarefied earth, uh, rarefied air of what's likely to be the world's first trillionaire 
uh, extraordinary. So Jeff Bezos first up, obviously stepped down uh, from his role at Amazon to pursue new interests. And that, again, is extraordinary. Yeah, people think, oh, Amazon, it's not been around that long. I think it was 1996 or so. It's I think it was Yeah, so yeah. it's not, not that old a business. Got the job done. Uh, you know, and even post-divorce, he's still sitting at sort of 240, 250 billion in net worth. So quite an extraordinary uh, place to be. And what else do you do when you've got billions and plenty of time on your hands? Start space exploration. And that's what we've seen. So, uh, you know, the, the billionaire's playground now is is space exploration. Looking at Elon Musk, uh, yeah, and what an interesting person, uh, you know, worth reading his bio. Um, He's great. I love Elon Musk. This is someone that's so totally not motivated by money. Uh, and many people look back at, you know, people that changed the world um, in our era, and you know, Steve Jobs would almost certainly be uh, one of those names that gets thrown in with the, the work done at Apple. But I think by comparison, the legacy that Elon Musk will leave behind is something that genuinely has changed the world, right back from PayPal uh, into Tesla uh, with clean energy cars uh, and, and a car business which sells a fraction of the cars of a lot of its larger competitors, but is pretty much worth more than all of them added together, which is just an extraordinary measure in itself of what a sort of cost of a slice of the future really looks like stratospheric valuations on Tesla. And 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 that's propelled him to the richest person on the planet. And the pundits are saying now that whatever he his worth due to Tesla is a fraction of what he's worth because of SpaceX. And again, you look into SpaceX, here's, here's a company that effectively recycles as much as it can and reuses its spacecraft, uh, has created a commercial solution to satellite launching and space tourism. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. And, and yeah, when you put a tweet up to say, hey, what do I do? So I sell 10 billion worth of shares or not? And people go, go on then and, and just to see if you're going to do it. And you go, okay. And does it? it does. Uh, I don't know quite what the regulator would have to say that. Uh, and he's had his previous run-ins, of course, with uh, with the SEC and the regulators in the US. But, you know, it's just like, it's, it's so newsworthy. But it's just, it's just another level that you look at and just try and fathom what's going on there. It's just extraordinary. Totally. Richest guy on the planet probably works more than all of us too, you know, works mm. 24 hours a day effectively. Yeah, there's a man with a purpose. And we've talked, and I'm, I'm sure as we get into the new year, we'll talk about goals and goal setting and how to get the most from the year. Um, yeah, this is a person that's so totally plugged into what his purpose is, definite major purpose. As way back, you know, nearly 100 years ago, Napoleon Hill would have said, your definite major purpose in life. Uh, and he's hooked into it and has been has been pushing it to the to the absolute extreme of the envelope his entire life and it's, it's just incredible to be on the sideline watching it can we stick on that theme of push to the extreme and talk about GameStop and AMC and your the rise segues of, have got better as the years gone like, on. We can't what? do a year in the review without saying how much better your segues Whilst are. Whilst you're talking, I'm always <laughs> thinking of segues. That's kind of how this rolls. But Wall Street bets and Reddit and that whole debacle, I mean, stocks moving up a thousand percent over a very short period of time. Hmm. It just really highlights the world that we live in today. It's people power and it's harnessing that that power, I guess, of social media where you can have a, a, a sort of bit of a user group of people and literally move markets. Uh, and that was quite extraordinary to see that, um, you know, it was a real punch on the nose for the hedge fund industry. Uh, I don't think too many people would have been uh, crying in their sleep about that either. But it's been a one-off and we alluded to that at the time that the hedge fund industry uh, and the big end of town will get onto that. There'll be a one-off there, won't be doing this again. Um, but yeah, it was really quite extraordinary to see how a small group of people initially could create this wave uh, and literally ramp up a stock that the, 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 the big end of town, the institutions were shorting, expecting it to largely go out of business. 
and 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 give him an absolute flogging. Uh, and it was amazing to see. That's for sure. And you look at Robin Hood, you know, zero cost brokerage as well with that as a major. Um, and a thousand dollars free money. Don't forget when mm-hmm. you open your account. Yeah, you know, it's, it's 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 such a shift in the way that it's enticed people into financial markets, and that in itself, if I may use a segue of my own, sure. has probably been one of the bigger factors in encouraging so many new investors and traders into the stock market. You know, this year we've seen an unprecedented level of growth of first-time investors join markets, and it's not just because markets have been strong, but those barriers to entry of lower fees um, and, and maybe having a credit into your account to get started and the gamification, if you will, of trading uh, has been huge, and it's certainly brought a lot of new participants in the market, which is always great to see. Speaking of market participants, really hasn't been anything shy of a terrible performance the last couple of weeks, and that is Zip and Afterpay. And it's probably a good way to lean towards the end of today's episode, AB, because believe it or not, you might not know this, on Afterpay now, you can actually buy drinks no at way, a bar now <laughs> and pay for them later. So you can be knocking back cocktails at Burley Pavilion, as I'm sure I'll be over Christmas. I think this is hypothetical. Paying... I don't think you've ever bought a round of drinks, but that's okay. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> but buy now, pay later. You can do it on, no on anything. That's that's extraordinary. And again, ugh, ugh, now you've put me on the spot with that. I think that's almost unconscionable that you can get people sort of on the hook that way. Next thing you better go to Crown and buy your chips at the table using it too. But uh, yeah, it, it is an interesting space. Is it is it buy now, pay later, or is it just buy, buy, and that sector has lost a little bit of its gloss? Um, you know, after pay was the big mover in that marketplace, as we all know. And their takeover offer from Jack Dorsey and Square from the US was a, was a, was a absolutely enormous, uh, 130 bucks ish per share. I think it was when the uh, when the offer came out. And as we speak, I think the shareholders have yet to ratify that from an afterpay perspective. It's due fairly shortly. Um, but what we've seen is that share price has actually declined quite substantially. Um, the longer it's gone since that offer was made versus it being accepted by the shareholders. So one of those things when there's a takeover, particularly if it's a, 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 you know, a, a juicy one like that, if you're a shareholder, it's sometimes good just to get the money in the bank because talk's cheap, but money buys the whiskey. Um, yeah, and we've seen that whole sector. Zip has had a torrid year um, and, and Afterpay certainly has come off the boil too. Because I think investors that are looking for a bit of pizzazz, if you will, a bit of zing, I've also found a new toy to play with, which of course is in the crypto space. That that, that That's a whole topic in itself. And let's draw upon that now, AB, because mm. with that inflationary pressure that we've seen all year, which we've talked of, um, we've seen really gold fail, but also mm. crypto be that outside of financial markets hedge that yep. investors have been using. What, what would be your analysis on that? Look, it's been a, a really strange one for gold. Uh, we're in inflation environments we've already spoken of. And normally when you have inflation, you do see uh, gold as that inflation hedge, that safe haven asset. I think part of the reason why we haven't seen that as much in this particular part of the cycle is that if you're buying gold, you're effectively long US dollars. And we spoke earlier, you know, 40% of US dollars were printed in the last three years. So you're effectively taking a long position in an hyperly overly inflated asset being US dollars. Uh, And so we haven't seen that follow through for gold as an inflation hedge because it's likely to be a victim uh, given it's in US dollars. There's a bit of more complicated economics in there and I think we talked to that uh, a couple of podcasts ago. Um, Also, I think if you're looking for diversification and, and an inflation hedge, crypto has kind of been an alternate to that this year. And I know that kind of sounds a little crazy to compare gold investing with crypto, 
we've seen yeah large amounts of money go from the self-managed super industry for example into crypto so it's not just you know a 17 year old in mum and dad's spare bedroom in his boxer shorts trading crypto it's been more mature more uh, sophisticated investors in that space too myself included i joined uh the crypto uh space this year uh purely and simply talking to my barista um who is young kid having a go and he's a good young cult i'm actually doing a little bit of work with him at the moment to, to to help him bolster his knowledge on his investing he's a really really nice young kid and during our conversations it was like well how come you're not in and it's actually getting harder and harder and harder to find a reason not to be you've just got to be very selective either in terms of the particular coin that you go for and and the wallet or platform that you're using very very important a lot of scams around out there too so yeah i got into that this year made some good money on it too it's really dominated headlines, and how could you knock it back? Crypto, what Bitcoin peaked at eighty thousand US dollars, something like that, a coin. Was that two minutes ago? And now it's fifty. It's pretty volatile. It is volatile. <laughs> but we don't mind that. No, it's it, it's been it's been an incredibly volatile play, um, but nonetheless, yeah, it's 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 offered, I think, a flavour of asset allocation, a new flavour of asset allocation into the market for people. And, and as I say, it's getting harder and harder to say why 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 not, uh, provided you're careful, you've got a strategy, you've got a plan. And, and I guess most importantly, is, again, as we've talked to earlier in the year, it, it is matching your investments with your risk appetite. You know, it is very volatile. You will want to have an appetite for risk if you're going to be in there. Who knows? That could be going uh, <laughs> could be going to the moon. It could be going down. We don't know exactly. But I think I've actually run out of segues. Is there anything that you'd like to cover that we've seen this year? I'm pretty sure we've ticked off most off from the list. Look, the, 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 there's going to be other stories that are just as big that perhaps we've overlooked with those headlines. And I think it just shows what a year it's been when you can have such a spread of things to talk to um, that, are, that are major factors. You know, normally there's maybe three or four major factors, but literally we've had a smorgasbord of them this time around. And it's made for, I think, a, a more challenging trading environment for people. Uh, why? Because, yeah, we've gone through yeah, if we take the Australian economy, you know, 30 years of economic certainty where we've been effectively in economic growth mode. We had a recession, albeit probably one of the shortest recessions ever, is one quarter effectively. Sure. Um, we have seen you know, record low interest rates and we've seen you know, volatility. And this is you know, another sort of phenomenon of the year that's a little bit unusual. We've got all these factors which are major ones that could influence markets in a, in a, in a good, bad or indifferent way causing volatility. Yet if we look at the volatility index, the VIX index as it's traded on the Chicago Board of Trade, which is an indicator I use quite heavily, you guys use uh, to help create signal screener. You're seeing volatility at historical low levels as it's priced in by markets and it does not make sense that we're in a market that's so fickle that can move through big moves very, very quickly with, you know, geopolitical China fears, whether it be pandemic fears and anything else that we've talked of uh, to, in, in this particular podcast. And yet volatility is at those low levels. It should be priced much higher. And, you know, we've seen some short term spikes in that, which you always do with volatility. And so far, it's been quite profitable buying those low levels and, and, and selling them on those spikes. But yeah, it's, it's it, there's, there's another quirky factor that we've seen in markets. You know, and it's made for more difficult trading conditions because lower volatility creates lower options premium, meaning if you're using, say, something like cash flow on demand, your income has taken a bit of a cut. 
unless you're going out for longer or trading stocks that inherently carry with them a little bit more risk. Uh, and we've also obviously been in a market that's not been trending nicely up. It's been, you know, at least for the last six months, you know, two steps forward, two steps back. So it's made for quite a frustrating market to try and trade. But these are the challenges. If it was all um, tea and cake, it would be a pretty boring business. And this is what gets us coming back year in, year out uh, to do battle on the field of what the market is. Uh, and the pieces of the puzzle are always different, but they're always the same. You know, it's, it's, it's the same process as the jigsaw puzzle. You put the corners and the boundaries in, look at the cover of the box and start fleshing out what's going on. Um, and the picture that's been on the box this year has been quite different and it's changed quite often this year making it a little bit more challenging but we're around the corner from next year that brings with it its new set of scenarios and even more exciting is a new set of money making opportunities and that's what we love absolutely and i think that's a a brilliant way to finish here today ab thank you very much for your input what a weird year it's what, been. What a weird year. What a weird year. <laughs> it's, and what it, it's one for the books. It truly totally. is. And, you know, just as, as we close this, just thinking about what we've talked about, you know, it's like it's almost exhausting when you think of just how many big headlines there have been. And you know something? Next year will be the same. We haven't talked about Oprah's interview with uh, uh, with Harry and Megan. Uh, how could we forget? Well, you know, that was a, that was spell. You know, I was on the edge of my seat for all of about half a second on that. But uh, yeah, the, and, but this is the buzzword that we're in that is headline to headline. Uh, and that was something that grabbed headlines for a period of time. And there'll be some other new things into the new year that'll do the same thing. Uh, as a trader or an investor, you've got to sometimes take a step back away from that and not get caught into the noise and just work on what your big picture is. And I think over the next few weeks, we'll probably talk to what our outlook is for the year ahead to give people some marker points to aim for so that when they're looking at the jigsaw cover box, they know what the picture is and how to set their stall out to capitalize on the year ahead, which is really what successful trading and investing is. Totally. Well, let's hope next year's jigsaw puzzle box cover looks a lot prettier than this year's. But in any case, thank you very much for your input, AB. To all our viewers and listeners out there, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Absolutely. Merry Christmas. And thank you so much for your support and following this year. It's meant a lot to us. And uh, hopefully what we've had to share while sitting in these chairs and their predecessors has uh, helped you navigate these markets. Sure. Feel like a cocktail? Definitely. Let's go do it. Let's do it. Afterpay. Four payments. Done. <laughs> Thanks very much, Mitch. See you, Abby. There you have it, guys. What a crazy year it's been. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to seeing you next week.